Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Great to see all of you here. I heard about a guy who hadn't been the most attentive husband in all the world. In fact, he had not helped his wife out very much, and he was just having one of those moments that, believe it or not, ladies, we men can actually have these moments where he felt enormous guilt. Felt so bad. Man, I haven't been supportive. I really haven't been there. I haven't helped her very much. So what he thought he would do, he said, I'm just gonna surprise her. I'm just gonna, now I'm gonna go over the top. I'm gonna surprise her, I'm gonna do something amazing, something unlike what I normally ever do. And so he goes and he buys this beautiful bouquet of flowers, he gets this candy, and he says, you know what, I'm not gonna come in like I normally do. Normally I go into the garage and through the back door, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna go through the front door. I'm gonna ring the doorbell, I'm gonna have her come to the front door. So he got all this mapped in his mind, and he did that. Had the flowers, had the candy, rings the doorbell, Wife opens the door, and all of a sudden, man, just to, to make it even more special, he shows the flowers, he shows the candy, he drops to one knee, and he begins to sing, When a Man Loves a Woman. Ho, ho, ho. What do you think, ladies? Did he do it upright? Well, the reaction he got was she starts to cry. She just breaks down and starts crying, and he goes, Honey, I don't say, because no, you, no, you don't understand. She said the dishwasher broke, and it flooded the laundry room. The house is a wreck. The kids have been terrible. And now to make matters worse, you came home drunk. <laughs> well, you know, we all have to deal with guilt. Guilt is a part of our daily routine because we all make mistakes, whether you're in a relationship, uh, whether you're a parent, a business person, with the coworkers, we all make mistakes. We, we sometimes, we go, you know, the two steps forward and the, and the three steps back. We, we don't necessarily intend to do it, but we just, we, just, we just do it. And what we discover as we live our lives is we, we try to assuage the guilt. Some, sometimes we try to assuage the guilt by comparing ourselves to other people. Like we say, well, I know I'm a better husband than that guy. He's never bought candy or flowers or made an effort. Uh, and sometimes we do that not just at that level, but we do it at other levels in life. We, we, when we feel bad about ourselves or we're feeling a little guilty, we, we tend to do that. And when you look in the Bible, the Bible says that if you compare yourselves among yourselves, it's, it's really not wise because that's really not the standard, that's not the measurement that we get a true sense of how we are or even, even who we are. Because guys, when you're break it right down, the reason we do what we do and the reason we struggle sometimes in relationships and in our personal lives and we have these feelings of guilt is it's actually inherent within our nature. This is what's in our nature. I mean, the Bible teaches this, that we are, we're sinners by, by nature. We came into this world making mistakes. I mean, have you ever noticed that with a little one, you, you don't have to teach your little one uh, to lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. And the reason you have to do that is because we're their parents. We did that too. I've told you before, you know, when you have that first child and you put them to sleep at night and they cry and all of a sudden you rush in there, you wonder if they're okay, should we call the pediatrician? They're crying, right? Some of you new parents, can you understand that? After you've had one or two, you just turn the TV up. 
<laughs> but that first one, you rush in there, and man, you're just attentive, and you're wondering, you know, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, you, you check them, they're dry, they're, you know they're full, and so you start to ease out of the room when they're finally quiet, and as soon as you ease out of the room and you close the door, you know what happens? They start crying again. You notice that? And so you go back over and you pick them up again and you love on them and you do that. And they quit crying and you put them down and you start easing out of the room again. And then, you know, they start crying again. And what you come to the conclusion after you've done that little dance with them a few times is that baby ain't dying, that baby lying. <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with that baby. And then my point is we, we are, we're just naturally we're naturally sinners, we, we're sinners by nature, and then as we get older, we, we become sinners by choice. And I can tell you, God didn't set it up that way. That, that's not in the original design. The Bible says we're made in the image of God, the uh, Imago Dei, and he made us in perfection. And he placed the tree in the garden, and the reason he placed the tree in the garden was he wanted us to love him not because we had no other choice, he wanted us to choose to love him. You see, if you can't choose not to love someone, you're really not free to choose to love them. And you know the story. Adam and Eve, they chose, and when they chose, this idea of sin entered the world, and Romans 5 says, now that sentence of sin is passed upon all of us, as I said, we're sinners instinctively, intuitively, because of the sins in the garden. And what was interesting is when you study that early record about what happened when sin entered the picture, one of the first emotions they had was guilt. Not unlike the guy who felt bad about being a bad husband, but he felt guilt. I mean, you remember what they did up until that time? They had walked with God in the early morning of the hours, and he would fellowship with them, and they with him, and what an amazing thing that must have been. And when you see sin entering the picture for the first time, Adam and Eve hid. They hid from him. Remember the story? They hid from God. And it's so amazing to think about hiding from God. I mean, he's sovereign. I mean, do you really think for a skinny minute that God went into the garden going, now where could they be? I remember when Shannon was real little, she was our firstborn, when she was real little, uh, and we would be playing hide-and-go-seek. You do that with your kid, we'd play hide-and-go-seek. And one time, she was running around trying, we were at a hotel room, she's running around trying to find a place to hide, so she stands over in the corner by the curtains and she just covers her eyes. Because she felt like if, you know, she couldn't see us, we, we couldn't see her, so we did what all parents do, we went along with it, right? Oh, where could she be? Looked under the bed, and we looked in the bathroom, and we looked everywhere trying. We can't find her, and finally, you know, we stumble on her. And, she, and I think about that sometimes when I think about Adam and Eve when they tried to hide from God. Like, like really? I mean, what was he going to do? Come on, guys, you're making me look bad. I'm God and all. <laughs> I mean, the angels are going to tease me. Come on, come out, quit hiding. No, he knew where they were. Well, why did they hide? Well, when did that happen? It's because God knew where they were, but they didn't know where they were. They didn't understand why they were feeling guilty for the first time in their experience. They didn't understand that the choices they've made and the sin that was in their life has now created this emotion of guilt. And then when you read a little farther in the record, and I won't go too far into it just for time's sake, but you see the other thing, they had to leave the Garden of Eden. One of the things that living a life apart from God and experiencing sin in one's life is not only does it 
It creates guilt, but it creates separation. Separation. You, you don't feel close to God. I mean, the Bible says when we're born and we're, we're born into this world with this sinful nature that we're, we're alienated from God. Pascal says within every person, there is this God-shaped vacuum, a hole in the heart, if you will. Meaning we know there's something missing, we don't know exactly what it is. There, there's something we're searching for and people search for it in all kinds of things. They go into religion, they go into turning over a new leaf, they go into all kinds of therapy because there's something missing in their life. There's a sense that they're not connected with the creator and so they go on different journeys trying to find the answers to that, to that problem. When the Bible says it really started in the garden, and it's carried down intuitively, instinctively now into all of us, the feelings of guilt, of separation. And then the third negative emotion that came about in that early experience was condemnation. Condemnation. Uh, they realized that it was their sinfulness that now had brought about God's displeasure. And if something doesn't happen to break the cycle, they cannot and will not ever be able to be in the presence of God. And so God provided a way whereby this thing of sin that brings about guilt and separation and condemnation, this thing of sin that you and I all struggle with, this thing of sin can be dealt with. It can be remedied. And I would tell you tonight that there's not a problem that you and I face but what God has a solution. He has a solution to the sin problem. In fact, the Bible says concerning Jesus in Revelation, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? That means long before God ever stepped from nowhere to stand on nothing and speak everything into existence, he basically said within the councils of eternity, if we go forward, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and we create man, and we give man a choice, he will choose against us. So therefore, if we're going to have fellowship with him and enjoy fellowship with him in heaven one day, there has to be a way whereby sin, guilt, separation, condemnation can be dealt with. And Jesus stepped forward and said, I'll, I'll pay the price. I'll, I'll, I'll take on the role of bridging the gap between a lost world and a holy God. And really that's what Good Friday is about and that's what the Easter celebration is about. It's about the fact that one day Jesus Christ came into this world to deal with the matter of sin. He had no sin, otherwise he would have had to die for his own sin. He, the Bible said, who knew no sin became sin that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in him. He was born holy. He was born the righteous, perfect son of God. Think about it, never had a thought he shouldn't have had, <laughs> never said a word he shouldn't have spoken, never did a thing he shouldn't have done. He was perfect in every way. When Pilate tried to find some accusation against him, Pilate said, I can't find anything wrong with him. I've told you before, can you imagine? Pilate had access to the most um, um, uh, vigorous investigative resources of the then known world. The, the FBI, the CIA, the, the law enforcement agencies. Can you imagine if someone today began to look into our background and go to talk to our elementary teachers and our neighbors to try to find one, one thing we have done wrong in our life, how long would it take for them to find something we've done wrong? I'm thinking they're picking me up in two or three minutes. And that's just if they talk to some of you. 
And yet they go and they, and they, they investigate. And Pilate says, I, I can't, this is amazing. <laughs> I find no fault. I can't find anything. He was the sinless, perfect son of God. And Jesus Christ came into the world as the sacrifice of God, the one who would pay the price for our sin. And when Jesus came into the world and he went to the cross, literally the sins of the world were rolled upon him at that cross. And when I think about the cross, and we saw depicted a moment ago, those three crosses, and when I think about that scene, not just at Easter, but oftentimes I think about that scene of those three crosses. And I think about, guys, what those crosses represented as I consider my own sinfulness and the guilt that I have and, and the separation that I felt and the condemnation that I was under before I knew Jesus. And I think about what those crosses represented. And the first cross that I think of represented this man who was dying. He was dying in sin, in sin. He was justly there. He was there because he did something worthy of death. He was dying uh, in sin. In fact, the Bible says concerning all of us in Romans chapter 6, 23, it says the wages of our sin is death. The payment for sinfulness is, is death. So if a person lives their life apart from God and they never accepts, accept the sacrifice of Jesus for sin and they die in that condition, the wages or the payment for that sin is death. Physical death, obviously, but more than that is spiritual death. And this first man on the cross, this man who ridiculed Jesus and this man who said, if you're really the son of God, why don't you come down from the cross and save yourself? That, that man knew who he was and yet rejected him. He knew a lot about him and yet he didn't receive him. And so this man hanging on the cross was a man who represents people who are dying, who are dying in sin. Now the Bible speaks of the, the one sin, the, the biggest sin that takes a person eternally away from God and he takes them and consigns them into that place the Bible talks and calls hell. And the Bible calls it blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Matthew 23, Jesus taught about that. Well, what in the world is that? Some people say, well, is it some moral sin? If you commit some moral sin, does that mean you don't go to heaven one day, you end up going to hell? Is it some um, verbal sin? You say the wrong thing, you don't go to heaven, you end up going to hell. It, it, you know, wh what kind of sin is it that Jesus is speaking of? What is, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? What is the one sin that the Bible says God will not forgive? And by the way, it is the sin the man hanging next to him on the cross, the man dying in sin, had committed. Here's what it is. The role of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to Jesus. He works through people, he works through circumstances, he works in the lives of all of us here tonight, and the role of the Holy Spirit primarily, primarily, is to bring us to Jesus. No one can come to the Father except the Spirit draw them. So the, the role of the Holy Spirit, if you've never trusted Christ tonight, it's no accident you're in this room. God, by his Holy Spirit, is drawing you to himself. 
That's why Jesus said, it's better for you if I go, because if I go, the Spirit can now come. And one of the initial things the Holy Spirit does is he draws people to Jesus. In other words, picture this. The Holy Spirit is drawing you to the cross, and he's saying, on the cross is the one who is dying for your sin, who is taking the payment that you can't pay, and he's making it possible that you can be forgiven and, and not have guilt or, or, or not have separation or condemnation. Won't you receive him? And the Holy Spirit kind of draws you by the heart and he brings you to the cross. And the danger is if you reject that drawing of the Holy Spirit, now listen, and you die in that condition, God says, that's the one sin I won't forgive. He said, I won't allow someone to walk through the blood of Jesus at the foot of the cross as though it means nothing to them. He said, I won't have you indifferent about the cross. I won't have you dismiss the significance of my sacrifice on the cross. And so when the Holy Spirit draws you to him and you say, no thanks, and you die in that condition, that's the one sin that he will not forgive. That's why we can, gosh, we can agree to disagree on a lot of stuff. Uh, you can be a premillennialist, a postmillennialist, an amillennialist. You can believe in pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. You can be baptized, sanfronized, pasteurized, homogenized. I mean, we, we, can, we can agree to disagree on a lot of stuff. But the one thing we cannot disagree on and expect to be in heaven together one day is Jesus. Jesus. And what happened to the man on the cross who was dying in sin is he rejected the one who was there within feet of him to make it possible that he could know him. So you have the one cross where there's a man that died in sin. Then you have the other cross. You remember that guy? He represents someone who was dying now to, to sin, to sin. Remember what he said, it was so amazing. He turns to Jesus and instead of ridiculing him or denying him or denouncing him or any of that, instead he, he looks at him and he says, can I join your church? No, that's not what he said, I'm sorry. Lord, I think I know all the doctrines that you believe. Can I recite some doctrinal you know, facts for you? No, that's not what he said. Can I tell you where I am on pre-trib, post-trib, you know, pre no, he didn't do that either. If you get me off the cross, can I go make amends? I need to prove the sincerity of my faith. Or, or, or I, I gotta get baptized. He didn't say any of that. You know what he said? He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Childlike faith. Just simply saying, I know who you are. I know who I am. I deserve to be here. You don't. I obviously can't save myself, and I obviously am getting the, you know, the results of the life that I've lived, and I understand it. I, I'm not, listen, I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. Can you identify with that guy? Let me tell you, never pray and ask God for justice <laughs> for yourself. I just need what's coming to me, Lord. Boy, I don't. <laughs> not me, buddy. You can pray that way, Scooter. I am not praying that way. I do not want what's coming to me. I want mercy. I want grace. And this man on the second cross was a man that learned the value of dying to his sin. He received Jesus as his Savior.
And can I tell you tonight, that's the only thing you can do that'll make a difference in eternity is to receive Jesus. And, and here's one or two things inevitably you'll do. Remember what Jesus said? If you're not with me, you're against me. He was saying you either receive me or you, you reject me. And the man on the cross realized, man, the time is running out. The grains of sand through that, that little hourglass of my life are about gone. And, and I need to receive Jesus. My dad had a pastor friend of his in South Carolina, and this guy was working on a water tower, and he slipped and he fell from the tower. His harness failed, and they said they heard him scream as he was falling to his death, Lord, help me. And the pastor said, man, you're taking a chance. Wait until you're falling 300 feet to the ground to ask God to help you. Now, I'd have prayed that way too. That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying that the point is you don't want to wait too long when it comes to receiving Jesus. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. The only time you and I are promised is right now. That's it. And that man on the cross, one died in sin, one died to sin. Let me close with this. But Jesus, the one on the center cross, he died for sin, for sin. When you think about the cross, think about it this way. The sins of the world, past, present, and future, were rolled on Jesus there at the cross. All the way back to Adam, remember where it all got started with a train jumped the track? <laughs> Those sins rolled. All those Old Testament say, all the New Testament, all the way, all the way up to you and me, and as long as Jesus tarries his coming, as long as there's a human walking on the planet, any sin that we could ever commit or any sin that's possible to be committed, all of those sins were rolled upon Jesus there at the cross. That's why one of the things Jesus said in the closing moments of his life, he said, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You say, could you explain that? I've never understood why God had forsaken his son on the cross. Well, here's the reason. In that moment, Jesus had so fully become sin, the sins of the world all rolled upon him that a holy and just God could no longer look upon sin. And he had to turn away from his son. The Bible says it became as dark as midnight at noonday because Jesus had become sin for us. One of the last things he said before he left, he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. That wouldn't be surprising for a dying man to say, I'm finished. Paul said, I fought the fight, I kept the faith, I finished my course. That's not what he said. He said, it is finished. Meaning the thing I came here to do to bridge the gap between a sinful humanity and a holy God. The work necessary to forgive sin, that work is now finished. And Jesus hung his head and died, completing and finishing the work of salvation in the payment for our sin. That's why, friend, you don't have to do anything except receiving. Charles Spurgeon used to say, salvation isn't spelt D-O, he said it's spelled D-O-N-E. Cindy and I were in Mexico City years ago visiting a missionary family there. And the beautiful church, Our Lady of Guadalupe, it is on a, a large thoroughfare. It's one of the largest Catholic churches in that part of the world. This weekend, they'll have over a quarter of a million people 
that will come to multiple services within that church. Something to see. And as we were driving, making our way there, there was this large cobblestone median that went for miles toward the church. And we saw this lady as she was on her knees with a little baby on her back. And she was literally crawling on her knees, trying to make her way to that church. And we asked the missionary, we said, what, what does that mean? What is she doing? And the missionary says, oh, you don't understand. She feels like if God can see her in pain, he will understand the sincerity of her desire to be forgiven. And she believes that if God can just see her pain, that somehow his heart will be moved toward her and in mercy, he will forgive her. And so she was crawling her way with knees that were bloody to the church so that she could be forgiven. Missionary said, I wish I could tell her that the one who hung on the cross bled so that she doesn't have to. The one that died on the cross, he took her pain so she doesn't have to go through pain or penance in order to receive Jesus. He did the heavy lifting. The old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. When Paul wrote in Romans 8, you know what's interesting about it? I'd challenge you to read it before you go to bed tonight. He opens Romans 8 by saying this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What was one of those emotions I told you about a moment ago when I started? Condemnation, right? You go on a little farther. He said, who shall lay anything to the charge of my elect? In other words, nobody can accuse you of anything that God has not already forgiven you of. So what does that mean? No guilt. No guilt. Once God has forgiven you, forgive yourself. Some of you are carrying some stuff you ought to let go of. Forgiveness is to release, and some of you are carrying some stuff. You, you need to get rid of that. You're burdened with some stuff. You need to give it to Jesus and walk away from it. And Paul said, there's no one that can lay anything to the elect. That Once God has forgiven you, there's no guilt. So there's no condemnation, <laughs> there's no guilt. Here's the third one. Romans eight closes with, who shall separate us from the love of God? So height or depth or angels or principalities or things present or things to come, nothing. And then he said, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What'd he say? There's no guilt, there's no condemnation, there's no separation because of what the one at the middle cross did for us. Have you received him tonight? Do you know Jesus? Who is he to you? Have you placed your faith in him? Has there been a moment in your life where you've swallowed your pride and you've humbled your heart and you said, Lord Jesus, I trust you. Has that happened? If not, what a wonderful night. What an amazing night this would be. You'll always remember, Good Friday, I received Jesus as my savior. Would you bow in prayer with me tonight? And as I go to the Lord in prayer, I want to give you that opportunity. You may say, Bill, I'm not a part of this church. Well, that's okay. You may say, no, you don't understand. I'm not a part of any church. Well, that's, that's okay too. <laughs> you may say, I, I don't know much about this. That's all right. There's no place in the Bible where it says, understand and be saved. It says, believe. Believe. You come as a child. You come as a child. Childlike faith. And right where you are, whoever you are, whatever you've done, 
There's no sin. Listen, there's no sin he will not forgive. There's no burden he cannot lift. There's no problem he cannot solve. You didn't bring anything into this room tonight that God's not capable of handling. The problem is you need to turn it to him. You need to give it to him. You need to say, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of the guilt and I'm tired of the feeling of being separated from you. Tonight, I wanna deal with that. So I wanna pray over you and then before I close my prayer, I wanna give you an opportunity to trust Christ tonight. Father, thank you for those who are here to be a part of a wonderful Good Friday service. And Lord, I pray you'll bless the lives of those families and kids that are in this place. Thank you that they've given an hour of their weekend to honor you. And then, Father, for my friends here tonight who may never have trusted you, thank you that they're here as well. I pray this might be that moment, that incredible moment in their life where they acknowledge the fact that they need you. They can't do this on their own. And right where they're sitting tonight, I pray you'll give them the courage to pray this simple prayer and say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I believe you died on that cross. I believe you bore my sin on that cross, and I confess that to you. And now I invite you into my life. And with everything I know about me, I now trust everything. I know about you. Please, Father, forgive me. I receive you. Lord, I pray tonight you'll give the assurance of those precious people who prayed that prayer. Give them the assurance that you heard them. Lift the burden of sin that they carried when they walked in here. Let them know, Father, they are forgiven. And now, Lord, as we prepare not only to worship you, but as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, I ask that you'll bless this time. Bless this time of worship. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.